Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Welcome. Are you guys well rested? Daylight Savings Day, all that good stuff. Most of you don't even know anymore, right? The phone just wakes you up. It does the work for us. So thankful about that. Um, anyway, we're glad that you're here. We are going. We are in the thick of it, is how I would like to say it. We are going for it. We're talking about Jesus. We're in week number forty-three, and every time I've been reading through the Gospels, which we've been doing, of course, I'm I'm reading that. And I go, oh, we got to talk about that. Oh, we got to talk about that and that <laughs> on oh, that one, right? And and so I just feel like there's so much to say, and we haven't even got to it. And so today, I want to get to one of them. I want to get to one of those that's. You know what I'm saying? So open your Bible to Matthew chapter ten. Jesus says something here that is significant in weight. It's certainly weighty enough that we should take notice of it and that we should consider the words he says with our own life. But this is Matthew 10, starting in verse 32. It says, if you openly and publicly acknowledge me, I will freely and openly acknowledge you before my heavenly Father. But if you publicly deny that you know me, I will also deny you before my heavenly Father." I don't know about you, but I read this and there's a lot of things that come to mind, but one of the things that comes to mind is I want every person I know to acknowledge Jesus. I want everyone I know, I want, and, I, and I know you probably do too. You want your neighbors, you want your friends, you want the people you even interact with your work, your, your, at your workplace or the people you interact with when you go into restaurants. I mean, when we're really thinking about it, we do want every person at some level to acknowledge Jesus openly. And I also believe though, there's more inside of this passage that we're going to dig into. We're going to try, kind of try and do a deep dive into this a little bit. But Jesus is speaking even to our life as we move forward with him, that there is more and more as we mature acknowledgement of Jesus in our life, that we are more openly and publicly acknowledging Jesus. And I want to talk about some of those things. But the people, the, the, the people that heard this at the time, um, this, was, this, was, this was a very... Uh, weighty, if you will, heavy statement that they had to consider. Luke 12, we see the same, we see the same words only recorded by Luke, but there's a little bit of added weight, a couple extra plates on the bar, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, weightlifting reference for those that need that, because I'm obviously really into that. Luke 12, verses 8 through 10. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. So a little bit different language, same sort of thing, though. Whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And then he adds this little extra plate of weight. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Oh, okay, that's good. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Alrighty then. <laughs> the unforgivable sin. That's what we're going to talk about today. You guys, I'm just kidding. Um, the unforgivable sin is one of those that I think for a lot of us, it's like, I, yeah, I totally sort of get that. But what, is, what does that really mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, he begins this verse, right? He begins this verse by saying, if you speak against the Son of Man, speak a word against him, you can be forgiven. If you speak a word against Jesus, you can be forgiven. Remember Jesus hanging on a cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Remember Peter, he denies Jesus three times. Jesus not only forgives him, but he reinstates him as leader. So there's some truth behind what he's saying, right? Like he actually does forgive you. 
when you say some things against Jesus. That's interesting. But what about this Holy Spirit thing? Like if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which for a lot of you, you're like, I'm not even quite sure what I know what blaspheme means. So the, def the definition of blasphemy is the contempt or disregard of God. So a person who completely disregards God. This was the problem of the Pharisees, just so you know. They would see the miracles of God. Imagine a Pharisee. They would see a miracle of God, right? They would see Jesus do a miracle, and in their heart, they would have to decide, okay, is this miracle A, true, and B, is it something that I believe now Jesus is actually who he says he is? And so in their spirit, in their own heart, in that moment, you know that the Holy Spirit was quickening their heart. And the Pharisees would then say, ah, no, he's not who he says he is. Pride would well up in them. They couldn't, re they couldn't acknowledge this. And what you would call that then is the Holy Spirit doing a work in them, but then they would disregard and even have contempt towards the work of the Spirit. That's blasphemy. And so if someone in your life hears about Jesus and they have this quickening in their spirit, if you will, of the Holy Spirit to say, draw the Holy Spirit is drawing them to himself, and we say no. Pride wells up in us. We say, no, I don't want that. And people walk away from the Lord. Now you understand why that is the most, un that's the only unforgivable sin, when someone rejects God. So the way we define it in the scripture, those who receive Jesus, they have access to heaven, they have access to the Father. Those who don't receive Jesus, well, how do they receive Jesus? It's through the work of the Holy Spirit prompting in them and drawing them to him. So the only unforgivable sin is someone who says, I disregard what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, lead me to. Does that make sense? And so today, we're going to get into this a little bit, but I said, like I said, I, this is weighty stuff. It's kind of beefy, um, but I think it's something that every one of us must humbly consider and when it comes to our right standing before God. So as you know, I love, I love stories of... Uh, I love stories of revival. I love stories especially about the last couple hundred years, and I've been telling them for the last several months, even years, or last year or so, about um, just different revivals that have happened. And I was reading about the Hebrides revival, which is Hebrides are some islands that are off the coast of, of, uh, of the United Kingdom. And this happened, uh, I don't know, 70 years ago or so, but <clears throat> a few weeks ago I read about this, and you just hear about these stories of how people would come to know Jesus. I want to read one of them, and, and I have this story on the screen. It says, God's presence sometimes becomes so palpable in, part, in part, parts of the Isle of Lewis, which is the Hebrides, that 75% of those who gave their lives to Christ on one particular night did so before they even reached the meeting. So imagine, imagine this happening. Workmen knelt in mud by the roadside, repenting of their sins. Women woke in their beds, feeling so deeply disturbed by the state of their souls that they dared not wait until morning to get right with God. A group of young people left a party and traveled together by bus to surrender their lives to Christ. These are, these are some testimonies. Now, in this particular movement, tens of thousands of people came to know Jesus in just a few years' time. And great moves of God, here's what I want, why I even bring this up. Great moves of God always have more and more people acknowledging Jesus. Just, it, just, it just comes with it. Every time God is on the move and God's doing a great move, more and more people openly and publicly confess and acknowledge Jesus. God's presence becomes more palpable, right? When God is moving, more people talk about Jesus. And in fact, when God is moving, even in geographical places, places where God is moving in a place, people can experience the presence of God just by going into that zone. In the stories of that revival, 
There are specific stories where people would literally cross into a particular area in a town that had been prayed over and that God's presence was in. And as soon as they like crossed this line, they would fall to their knees in the presence of God. They couldn't even, hand, they couldn't even, they, it wasn't in, out of their control. They'd just feel the presence of God on them so strongly in that particular area. And God, I think, wants us to know something. He wants us to know that he's God. <laughs> and he wants us to know that Jesus is his son. And he will do whatever it takes to let us know that. He wants us to know that God is God and Jesus is his son. And he wants us to acknowledge it. And when we stay silent about it, or when someone resists it, he's going to do whatever it takes. And sometimes it's going to be, I'm going to make my presence so thick that you can't even stand up in, the, in my presence. So when, when Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 32, again, I just think we have to take to heart the weight of it. And I just want to get into a few things. I have three thoughts that I want to talk about when it comes to acknowledging Jesus today. And I'm just kind of stepping into it, if you will. Uh, A lot of prayer in this this day about uh, what we're saying and what this is. And so I believe every one of us will feel a nudge, if you will, in one of these three. All right? It'll either be one of them, two of them, or all three of them. So the first one is uh, really simple. Confess Jesus as Lord. And I say it's simple, it's huge, but it's, when most people read that verse, they think that's what, the, what he's saying. In fact, some of the translations say, you gotta conf- those who confess Jesus before others, I will confess them before the Father. So too many people, in my opinion, don't take this seriously enough. They feel like beliefs is enough. You know anybody in your life that, believes in God but doesn't confess Jesus. You know anybody like that? You know people that say, oh, yeah, yeah, God's real, but I don't, but they don't, you can't tell, you can't, you've never seen them in your life confess Jesus as Lord. It's never happened. Or at least it's not happened publicly. Maybe it's happened internally. And so, but there's something about confession, something about saying it out loud, something that Jesus says very specifically because I've never seen in the Bible that it's okay to just believe and not confess. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't exist. And confession is really important in our culture today. I've been talking a little bit about culture and about how we step into culture with the gospel in the 21st century, all that kind of stuff. But a couple quick stats. 2015, there was a study done, not the study I've been talking about, reviving evangelism, but a different one. And it says this, 56% of adults believe that Jesus is God. So in case this is Americans, 48% of millennials believe that Jesus was God. And 52% of, that means 52% of uh, millennials believe that Jesus was either a religious leader or they're unsure of who Jesus was. So holistically, what this means is culture is moving towards a belief that Jesus was just a religious leader at best. Meaning more and more people are giving sort of a, you know, a head nod to Jesus like, hmm, yes, religious leader, kind of a, a sign of respect yet not a confession as a Lord, right? So I'm diving in deep, if you haven't noticed, on a couple other things. John Gill, he does a commentary about what confession is. He says this, For it is not enough to believe in him with the heart, but confession of him must also be made with the mouth, and which lies in ascribing their whole salvation to him, giving him the glory of it, giving him the glory of salvation, declaring their faith in him to others, and what he has done for their souls, and subjecting themselves to his ordinances and joining in the fellowship of his church and people, which can confession as it ought to be, both by words and deeds, and to be hearty and sincere, so likewise visible, open, and before men. 
Salvation is one of belief and confession. If you've been in church for any while, I've been talking now for five minutes about something that most of us know because this is Romans 10.9, right? If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We say this all the time if you've been around church. But I just felt like it's, need, it's needed to be said over and over again because so many people in our culture today, they don't take the confession part in their life seriously. And so today I just want to say if you believe in God, but you've not confessed Jesus as Lord, well, God's saying, if you deny me publicly before man, well, I can't, I'll have to deny you before my father. So today you can make it right. You can get it right with the Lord, if you will. You can be saved, and in a little bit we'll talk about that. But I want to invite you even right now as we start this whole message, like you can receive salvation, but it happens through beliefs and confession. The second way that Jesus invites us to acknowledge him is by baptism. <laughs> um, I remember when I was baptized, I, uh, I think I thought it was more about... By the way, when I was baptized, I got one of those robes. Anybody get a robe before? Really cool. You get in the water and it kind of floats up, and you're like, mm. yeah, like a lily pad around you. Anyway, <laughs> um, I thought I thought it was more of a celebration of uh, what what Jesus had done in me, and 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 although it was a celebration, and although it was even symbolic of what Jesus had done in me, as I've grown and matured more, I understand the importance of baptism, if you will. Because we know what Jesus said about baptism. Uh, again, Matthew 28, he says, and this isn't on the screen, but he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. So in the very great commission, the, the great commission that he gave his followers, he includes baptism as a central part of what he wants us to go do. So it's obviously elevated in importance in Jesus' teaching. Jesus was even baptized himself. And when he got baptized, it was like a shotgun start you know, to like the miraculous ministry of Jesus starting, that's when it happens. So I don't know when we get baptized what the shotgun start for you or me will be. However, I believe that one of the key reasons we are to be baptized, it is a public confession of our faith to our church family, to our friends and our family. There's a story about baptism that takes place in Acts chapter 8. Um, the story goes like this. I'll, I'll kind of summarize before I read. Um, but the story goes like this. There's a man that's traveled from Ethiopia uh, going to Jerusalem to worship God. And on his travels back from Jerusalem, Philip encounters this guy, and he hears him reading from the book of Isaiah. So he's, like, walking by, and this guy's in a chariot, and he hears this guy reading from the book of Isaiah, and he actually hears him prophesying, reading the prophecy of the coming Messiah, who would be Jesus. And Philip says, hey, do you want to know more about Jesus? And the Ethiopian says, well, how would I know anything unless someone told me more about him? Don't you wish everybody would do that, by the way? You're like, how? I would love to tell you, but don't you want to, I mean, that'd be so great if we could actually just tell people about Jesus that way. How would I know unless someone told me? So Philip then unpacks Jesus, unpacks the, the story of the gospel. And then we get to this moment in Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And then it's, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, and if you want to know what a eunuch is, look it up. <laughs> look. <clears throat> it's in the Bible. Look, here's, the wa here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water. And Philip 
baptized them. What I love about the story is that baptism is, is really intended, it's, it's shown here what it's intended to be. It's a public expression of an inward reality. There's a reality that's happened in this man that he knows he's not only believed, but he wants to step out and do, he says, what can stop me? He's, so here's the thing, Philip isn't convincing him he needs to be baptized. The eunuch is saying, the Ethiopian is saying, I need to be baptized. And so often in, in, with Christianity in the church, we're like, hey, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, this is a really important step of obedience you've got to take. And we're trying to convince people. And I'm just telling you, you shouldn't be convinced. This would be something that we feel called and compelled to do because this is what Jesus called us to do. And so we should want to, we should say, stop the chariot, stop life for whatever, you know, I need to get out and I need to go do this. And this is what happens in this moment. And I love it. I think it's beautiful. Baptism is one of the physical ways that Jesus calls us to acknowledge him. Just so you know, Jesus does not require things out of ritual. If you're like, oh, this is just a ritual, this is a tradition, Jesus doesn't do that. So everything you see in religion that's about ritual or tradition, it's not of Jesus, although there's nothing wrong with ritual or tradition. Jesus doesn't require anything that doesn't bring healing and renewal to us. And baptism must be a part of the healing and renewal of us or he wouldn't require it. And so he calls us to it because he knows what's right. And he says, will you obey me? Because if you do this, it will actually bring healing and renewal because there is something, something supernatural that must happen in the, fact, in the act of publicly confessing Jesus as Lord through baptism, which we symbolically say, I'm dying to my old self. It's being buried with Christ in baptism. And I'm being raised to walk in a new life in Jesus as a new person. That's what it is. So... I think it's time for some of us to acknowledge Jesus by baptism. And as they mentioned, we're doing one in a few weeks, April 14th. I'll tell you in a little bit how you can just say, I'm doing it. I'm in. I want it. Stop the chariot. I'm in. The water's warm. I'm just saying. Just as a way of being clear, in case you've been, there's a lot of different faith traditions and a lot of different ways people do baptism. We believe here at this church that you get baptized once after, 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 keyword, after you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. When you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you need baptism once. You don't need to be baptized again and again and again. So if you've done that, but you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to acknowledge Jesus in the way he calls us to. So the third way that Jesus calls us to acknowledge him is to testify, to tell stories. Time and time again in the New Testament, right, there's a call to testify to tell the story of not only what Jesus has done, but the things that Jesus is doing in us. Yeah, go preach the gospel, but also go tell the story of what God has done in you, how he has changed you. Acts 4, there's a great moment where Peter and John, they've been arrested, um, and they're before some of the religious leaders, the same religious leaders who had put Jesus to death, and they are just getting so worn out by Peter and John and the disciples and what they're doing in Jerusalem, and they demand... Uh, that they quit, they quit talking about Jesus and they threaten them. This is Acts 4, verse 18. He says, Then they called them in again, meaning Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God, God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You, you be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love it. They couldn't help but publicly and openly talk about Jesus because they had seen and heard too much. And I don't know about you, but I want to see and hear too much. You know what I mean? I want to be at the point where I'm like, I cannot stop talking about this because I have just seen 
and heard too much, and I believe I'm already there. I'm there, you're there. If you've received Jesus, if you've been restored, renewed, rewashed, whatever you want to say, you've seen and heard too much. I love, uh, I love what my wife Christy said a few weeks ago at our worship night when she gave her story of how God had miraculously healed her feet. She said this, and I have this on screen. She said, sharing testimony increases our faith and gives us hope that what he has done, he will do it again. What I love about that is, A, I just quoted my wife and gave her a slide. That's awesome. And, and uh, that's called marriage point. <laughs> but, I, but I do love this powerful truth. I love it. When we tell a story of what God has done, and maybe you've heard people tell a story and you're like, wow, if he did that. It increases not only your faith in telling, it increases the faith of the one listening, and then they believe maybe God will do it again. So for the person in your life that needs healing, and you tell a story of healing, for the person in your life who feels like they've, like they've failed, but you talk about how God picks you back up, and you tell a story of how God works and a testimony, it just increases the measures of faith in people. And, and for the last... For the last year, I believe, and, and I would say, really since we started this church, as long as we've been believers, we say this, but I really know for the last year we've been leaning in to trying to wade deeper into the faith pool. And we want to we believe, right? We keep praying, God, you know, give us more. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, help me. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard people use that verse in the last year, like, yes, I'm ready for more, but I do know that I have doubts. And we keep saying this, and I, be, I believe, just so you know, I believe there's, this is not on the screen, but I believe there are three clear signs of increased faith. The first one is the act of repentance. That the unbeliever and the believer will repent of their sin. When there's an increased measure of repentance, it means there's an increased measure of faith. So is this body repenting? That's the first sign. The second sign is transformation, meaning there's changes to our life. If there's an increased measure of faith, there's going to be changes to who we are. There's going to be changes in our routine. There's going to be changes in how, we wake, how and when we wake up. There's going to be changes to what we do through the day. There's going to be transformation. How many of you are feeling, you don't have to answer this, but how many of you are feeling transformed right now? Like life is changing for you. There's things that are happening that God is doing. Those, that's a second sign of increased faith in the church. And the third one, the third one, the third one is that we're going to have testimonies. We're going to have stories. People will testify of what God is doing. We'll hear stories. I've said this from the beginning. The, you know what the, mark, the marker, the measurement of, a, of what a church is doing is, you know how you measure if a church is being effective, right? How many people come, right? That's it. How, many, how, many, how much money is in the, in the budget? That's it. Which, by the way, is the measurement that most churches use, attendance and dollars. God is moving. Man, had a good offering. <laughs> Sorry. Pulled the veil back too much. But... Um, the way you know if a church is being effective is, by, is the measure of their stories. If we have no stories to tell, well, what are we doing? We're just getting together. If, there, if, our, if our big, great story to tell is, oh, man, 
We had, we had so many people there last week. Well, yeah, but why? What are this, what's going on in those people? Are we attracting them because we can perform the best? Or are we attracting them because there's the power of God that when they walk in, the presence of God is so palpable that it hits them. And that the, that the power of God is so real that they're experiencing it and it's changing them. It's causing them to repent and to be transformed. So we got to have stories like that. So if you want to know if we're increasing a measure of our faith, are we repenting? Are, are we being transformed? And do we have stories to tell? And if you don't have stories to tell, this is not a call you out moment. This is a call you up moment to say, perhaps it's time to start pursuing a deeper faith to where you can have stories to tell. A testimony to speak of the goodness of God and the power of God in your life to where you can say, God has done this and God is doing this. And he'll do it again. Increased faith will have repentance, transformation, change life, and a desire to testify of what he's doing. So let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Here we go. I I do want you to, if you have a Bible, you can open up to it. Luke uh, chapter 8, verse um, numero 42. Is that how you say 42? I don't know why. I just wanted to go Spanish on you, but. Uh, 42, Luke chapter 8. Jesus wants to make our, our faith public. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. <laughs> Story's over. See how successful ministry is when a crowd shows up? It almost crushed him. Um, verse 43. And a woman came, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When, all, when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you, meaning how are we going to figure this out? Just Let's move on. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman said that she couldn't, uh, the, the women seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling, fell at his feet, and in the presence of all the people, she told. She testified why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Who wanted it to be public? Jesus, right? Do you think Jesus knew who touched him? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that question. But I think there's a good chance he did. But why did he say, who touched me? 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 Who, who just took power from me? Who just experienced something? Tell the story. In fact, there's a huge crowd here. Tell the story so all can hear. Tell the story. He made her take her faith from a private thing to a public thing. He made her say, I'm going to step out here and I'm actually going to tell of the things that God has done. He called her up in that moment. Not for him, by the way, but for her and for everybody listening. Jesus knows that when we acknowledge what he's doing, it's an invitation to others believe that he will do it again. Jesus knows that when we publicly proclaim, it generates greater opportunity for his presence to be made more palpable. So, Jesus does not expect, nor does he want, a respectful head nod. Jesus isn't looking to be invited into your home privately which this is what the Pharisees did. 
you know, Stephen referenced a story this morning, if you read in Luke, I don't remember what it was in, where the, where the, where the woman Mary goes and pours out the perfume. You remember what happened, how, while, she, while, she, while she, he and she was in the house, well, a guy, a Pharisee, had invited Jesus in. Come to my home. And guess what? Later, Jesus said, you know what? None of you, none of you did what she did. None of you even washed my feet when I came in. None of you did anything. But this, this girl that you're wanting to call a sinner, she's the one. She's the one that made her faith public. Will you do what no one else is willing to do? Even when people don't want, here's the thing about publicly um, acknowledging Jesus for a lot of us. It's really easy in the, in the place where everybody's doing it, but whenever we're in an environment when no one is doing it, man, that's tough. And that's what she did. Nobody was. The Pharisee invited him privately into his home with more of a skepticism and more of a, what is Jesus going to do for me here? Maybe he's going to give me a great sermon. Jesus doesn't want to be celebrated in the temple and silently carried us carried through the marketplace. I think so many of us, that's our life. We should not be able to remain silent. There should be too much that we've seen and heard. That's where I'm pressing in for more, if you will. More of your spirit, Lord, more of your power, yes. More of your breakthrough, more of your testimony. So we read this verse in, in Matthew 10 at the very beginning and acknowledging Jesus before men. Most of us have interpreted that verse over the years to mean simply this, that it means we must confess Jesus as Lord and therefore God will let us enter into his kingdom. And I believe, yes, that is the most basic interpretation of that verse where we get to check the box based on our salvation. But I also know that acknowledging Jesus publicly is more than just receiving Christ in one moment. And it's more than just walking an aisle or raising a hand at one moment. But it's, it's this choice to follow Jesus that through his scriptures and through everything he says, we're going to have a type of acknowledgement throughout our life that just keeps growing. We should be acknowledging Jesus more now than we ever have if we've been a Christian for years. Do you get that? I see it the other way so often. Someone comes to know Jesus, and they're like, oh, my gosh, Jesus just changed my life. And then 10 years down the road, you're like, oh, you know what's going on? You're just kind of like, oh, you think, oh, here's what happened. You saw other Christians showing you that being a follower of Jesus means behavior modification to a more morally upright person, attending church to some measure, and being a generally good person you got confused you gave your life to Jesus were excited and then you saw everybody else living out Jesus that way and you thought that's what it was and so what happens is we quit acknowledging Jesus and instead we trade it in for a more comfortable safe version of Christianity which looks a little bit more like behavior modification and like I said maybe some measure of church attendance. It doesn't mean we don't get into the word. It doesn't mean, I'm just saying over and over, that's what we see throughout our, throughout our nation. A type of acknowledging Jesus that becomes more, more about a safe and comfortable existence versus one that's more lavish, if you will, and extravagant. A couple of weeks ago, we had a time where we talked 
about how Jesus calls us up. That was two sermons ago. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, we talked about Peter, how he had failed. He was called up by Jesus. In fact, I believe he's calling a lot of us up right now. By the way, I just believe that's happening in our church because I know this because of the testimonies I'm hearing. I'm hearing a lot of stories and I'm having a lot of conversations and so is our team about people who are coming to us and going, I don't really know what God's doing, but he's doing something in me and I just feel like he's calling me up. He's like, I'm needing to lean in. I'm, God's doing something and it's, it's significant in my life. And, and what I'm hearing is we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do next, but we're just like, I, I know I'm supposed to do something next. I don't know if anybody's feeling this. And they're like, and so what we're praying right now is, God, would you help us figure out how to help empower all these people who have a new and elevated and increased and accelerated hunger and thirst for you? I don't know if you feel an accelerated or increased hunger and thirst. But if you are, I think right now the prayers will say, okay, God, how do we step into that? I believe he's calling us out of our comfortable type of faith into one in which we're going to be acknowledging Jesus more with our life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, say it with me, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I believe God is calling some of us to really significant change. When I say that, go back to the three signs of faith, repentance, transformation, which is changing our life, and then testimony. And I believe he's calling some of us to significant change. And I, just, I say that with a little bit of like pause because I don't want to ever manipulate. But I believe some are being called to career changes. I believe God is planting dreams and visions within people that God is calling you up into a new way. And you don't know how to make it work right now. You don't know what you're supposed to do. But you feel compelled to take new steps in your faith. I just want you to know I'm not a proponent of carelessness or a lack of wisdom or useless risk. So I'm not telling you to go change your career tomorrow or to go make some careless change or risk. However, there is a voice much greater than mine and much greater than yours. And it's the voice of God. And when it speaks, you have to listen. When the voice of God speaks, he says, will you acknowledge me? Because acknowledgement is not just about confession of Jesus Lord. It's acknowledging Jesus in all of his ways. In all your ways, Lord, I want to acknowledge you. And if you're calling me up, I want to acknowledge it. Will you do? Will you do whatever it takes? Even when no one else around you does. <laughs> Will you be the only one to humble yourself? In a world that reeks of pride I do believe that there's a voice calling to many of us and it's calling us to change and it may be small changes but I think some of them are big changes and I just want to speak to that and just allow the Lord to speak to you even through this time but and my prayer is that our church would only be an echo of what ought to be meaning the things that the Spirit want to come into existence, our church would only be an echo and an affirmation of what the Spirit is saying. We must become people who pray with the type of faith. You understand this? We must be people, we're, we're talking about stepping into deeper measures of faith. We must become people who pray with the type of faith that trusts God for whatever he has for us. There's a, there's a quote that I want you to hear. Ian Bounds, he writes this about prayer. He says, prayer projects faith on God and God on the world. Only God can move mountains 
but faith and prayer move God. So if you've ever wondered, like, is it my prayers that actually change things? No, 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 no. It's God that changed things. But God is actually moved by your prayers. And he's actually moved by your faith. And he actually responds to the faith of his people. He goes on, the faith which creates powerful praying is the faith which centers itself on a powerful person. Faith in Christ's ability to do and to do greatly is the faith in which prays greatly. I don't know about you, but I want to pray greatly because I want to believe that we have a great God and that Jesus is actually great and can do the things he says he's going to do. So I want to pray believing in Jesus. So after the message I gave a couple weeks ago about being called, called up, um, I received a story from someone here in our church who, who shared through, uh, hey, cool plug here, shared through our Share Your Story um, link on the app um, about what God has done, that God had done it in that day. And I just want to read it to you because I feel like it speaks to this whole thing. But this is the story that came in. And I'm just, like I said, read it. It says, during the service today, the moment of praying over the things that are holding us back from being called up was really powerful for me. I feel deeply called to a few things right now, but I struggle with doubt that God will fulfill what he's called me to. I struggle with God's timing and I struggle with doubting that God will open doors and provide a way for me to, for his will to be done in my life. Even typing this feels crazy, but that's where I'm at sometimes. On top of that, when, I, when I'm in those seasons of doubt, the way that the enemy attacks me is by telling, him, telling me that I'm inadequate. Anybody with them? I look at others and feel like they're better, or more suited, or more gifted than me. And I think this comparison stems from my fear that I may not even live into my calling. If others are more suited than I, I can't be disappointed when they are used and I'm not. It's all cynical and dangerous and totally not in line with how God works. I know that, but I like, but like I said, I recognize that as the enemy works in my mind and I let it take a hold and I let it take a hold of way more than I should. So as we prayed, this is two weeks ago, as we prayed over those strongholds that hold us back, I felt physical release in my body. I felt deeply reminded of the things God has for me. I felt resounding affirmation around the truth that I live in him. And I feel that the lies that I tell myself, I felt them dissolve. It really was a visceral experience and something that I'm so thankful for during this time in my life. And then he says, thank you, God, for calling us up. Thank you for working in, around, and through us. Thank you for delivering me from my doubt. Continue to do that for us as we press into you. Call us to more and prepare me and all of us for what you have. <laughs> so good, isn't it? It's so good when God begins to pour his spirit out on his people and we begin to hear his voice and then we have the opportunity to acknowledge the work he's doing. And then we speak to it and we testify. And when I read this, I believe he's going to give you more faith to believe that he can do it again. So we acknowledge him. How do we do it? We confess that he's Lord. We get baptized and we start testifying and tell the stories. So if you haven't done that first one, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, you can give your life to Jesus today, and it's as simple as this. Lord, I believe you are who you said you are. I confess you as Lord, and I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what Romans 10, 9 says. You say that, and you will be saved. You can say it right now. Lord, I believe that you are Lord. 
confess that you are Lord. And I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if you've done that and you need to be baptized, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, but you've never been baptized today, you can do that. We do it real simple here, and there's two ways. On the back of this, this card right here, there's a thing that says, I'd like to learn more about baptism. Check the box and turn it in. There's also a thing that says, I chose to follow Jesus today. Check the box, turn it in. But we do want to talk to you because here's the thing. He says, if you deny me before others, I'll deny you before my Father. So I want you to acknowledge me before others. And so today you have actually the opportunity to go and talk to someone and say, hey, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. And I want to tell you about it. And let that person just pray with you. So maybe more specifically, um, just even those two, what I would say to all of us is if there's a deep work that God is doing in you, maybe it's time to tell someone about it. No longer remaining silent about the stirring happening within you, but letting that stirring sort of be released so people can hear it, affirm it, speak into it, help you with it. So will we willingly acknowledge Jesus not only in confession and baptism, but in testimony? So would you bow your heads with me? We're going we're gonna to pray, and then we're going to respond. Lord, I just want to pray right now. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, will you come? Holy Spirit, will you come right now? We know you're here, but we invite you even deeper. We invite you into um, each and every person right now, that, Lord, that you would surround them with your presence, you would work in their heart, that, Lord, you would quicken even their own heart to the things that you want to do. So, Lord, I want to pray right now for anybody that needs to confess you as Lord, anybody that needs to confess you as Lord, that today they would do it. If that's you today and you're already feeling that, if you need to confess Jesus as Lord, would you just lift your hand real quick? Lift your hand real quick so I see you. Anybody need to confess him as Lord today? That's good. That's good. I see you. Well, hopefully you've already done that, as I've told you. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to confess you as Lord, and I want to believe in my heart that God, you raised God, or Jesus from the dead. Say that right now in your own heart. Is there anybody in here that says, you know what, I just need to, I need to follow through. I've confessed Jesus as Lord, and I need to be baptized. Would you just lift your hand if you need to be baptized? No one's looking around. Just lift your hand. Anybody? Yeah, I see you. That's good. Let's do it. Let's make it happen today. Let's make it happen by you saying, I'm doing it, and we'll, we'll start getting prayer prepared in a few weeks. And then the third one, how many of you have a testimony to tell that you're like, man, I can't stay silent anymore. I need to start talking about what God's doing in me. I need to acknowledge Jesus in all of my ways. Anybody feel that way? Just lift your hand. Lift your hand. I hope more and more of us want to do that. I hope more and more of us are wanting to testify. Father, we pray now that as we step into this moment of even worship, that God, you would... uh, would speak you would rise up faith in people courage in people to respond to you and the ways you want to move in them we pray this in your name amen would you stand with us we're gonna have prayer team people on each side and i do believe today their message lends itself to saying hey i'm gonna go confess to another person um, either my need for salvation my need for other things so we'd love for you to come and respond um, and of course, this altar is open for those of you that's like, I need to keep pressing deeper into Jesus and deeper into the Spirit. Come and pray as we sing. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.